Good morning. It's good to be here with you all this morning. I'm going to be speaking this morning from the uh, life of Joseph again. I think this is Joseph number six. One of the things I appreciate about the life of Joseph is how intensely personal it is to us, how intensely practical it is to us living in 2021. It applies to us today. <clears throat> Typically, making a blanket statement is a dangerous thing to do. But I think I can, or I can safely say that my topic this morning is something that every one of us has needed in the past and something we will need in the future. We will also need to give it to other people. Every person needs forgiveness. And every person needs to forgive. I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 45. And let's look at what we can learn from Joseph about forgiveness. Following reading this passage, I'm going to read through the entire chapter. Following reading this chapter, I would like to hear briefly from several of you about what stands out to you in this chapter. What stands out to you about Joseph's forgiveness for his brothers? So I'd like to hear from a couple of you afterward. Let me summarize. Just before reading chapter 45, uh, we ended last time with chapter 44, and to briefly summarize, in chapter 44, Benjamin was going to be taken, Joseph's younger brother Benjamin was going to be taken as a slave for life because he was found with Joseph's silver cup on the top of his feed bag when they, they stopped him to check, and Judah makes a passionate appeal to Joseph to allow him to take Benjamin's place as a slave for life and allow Benjamin to go free to spare his father more grief. And that's the setting where we begin. Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. So they came near, and then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent you sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. 
You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he, provided, he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed. And he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. And when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father was revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What stands out to you in this chapter this morning? I'd like to hear from just a couple of you. <clears throat> Simon. Well, I understand you're going to focus on forgiveness. And uh, I think of Joseph to have the opportunity finally to get even with these brothers. Right. Look what they did to me. Here I am. I could get even with them. Instead, he forgave. Uh -huh. He canceled their debt and, and kissed them. Now, one of the things that stands out here as you read this, and after that, his brother talked with him. Forgiveness lets you talk again. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness lets you have fellowship with him. Forgiveness puts you in touch with God and your brothers and sisters. It does. Thank you, Simon. 
Who else? What stands out to you in this chapter? There's so many things that could be mentioned. Mary. I think this is the fourth time, no, it's the third time that he, he cries when, his, when he's with his brothers. But earlier he hid it. He turned his back and cried. And another time he walked out of the room and, and cried and then came back after he washed his face. This time's different. Now he's ready to reveal himself. Thank you, Mary. Who else? Something that stands out to you, Dave. Right, right, and that's, that's huge. Joseph saw God's hand. Thank you, Dave. Anyone else? Something that stands out to you in this chapter. Right. Good point, Nicole. This is the first. Jacob thinks his son Joseph is dead. And now is when he finds out. That's why he can't believe it. See, it says, oh, I can't see it. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. He, he couldn't fathom that the child, the son that he's grieved for for 22 years is alive. He grieved Joseph's loss longer than he had had Joseph. So yes, Jacob also has to forgive. You imagine how awkward it was for those ten sons to go back and confess to their father that Joseph is alive. There's so many things that could be mentioned here. Anyone else? Don't want to cut someone off. Simon. Excuse me for coming all again, but when his father finally believed, my son is alive, just think what it is to really believe Jesus Christ is alive, right. alive, right. he's my savior. Wow. Thank you, Simon. <laughs> Interesting thing I just noticed in, in reading this, I'd noticed it before and forgotten about it, but just... Up here reading this, in verse 27, um, Jacob, the father is called Jacob, and, or 26 and 27, it's, he's Jacob up until that point. When he, when he believes, when he steps out in faith, in verse 28, he says, it had, 
Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go see him before he dies. His name is there given as Israel when he acts in faith. Don't want to cut anyone off. If you have uh, something else you'd like to point out, you can, I guess you can do so later. Um, I want to go through here and just point out four things. I'm sure there are many more, but four facts about forgiveness that I want to take from this story. First one is, forgiveness costs the one giving it. Forgiveness costs the one giving it. Can you imagine? Mary mentioned the pent-up emotion. How much emotion was there in Joseph when he sends everyone out and tells his brothers that he is Joseph? Joseph's tears remind us that forgiveness is painful and it is going to cost the person giving it. I believe Joseph's tears come for two reasons. One, he relived in seeing his brothers. He probably relived mentally the years of separation, the years of suffering as a slave and in prison and just the rejection from his own family. And second, I think Joseph cried with joy because of the change he saw in his brothers. God changed these men. They were different than the men who had sold him into slavery. It was the work of God. I think there was also joy mixed in, in that emotion. At this point, it's been 22 years since he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He spent 13 of those years in slavery and prison, and now he's been second in command of the nation of Egypt for nine years. Remember, there was seven years predicted of, of plenty, big harvest, and then seven years following that of famine like they had never seen. And he says they're the second year into, they've had two years of famine. Judah, who had just finished in chapter 44, Judah had just finished pleading to be allowed to take his younger brother's place as a slave, is the man who 22 years earlier suggested to his brothers that they sell him. Let's sell him. Why kill him ourselves? Let's, let's get something for this. We can get some money for our brother. Joseph had recognized his brothers immediately the first time they came to Egypt, but he had been testing them to see what kind of men had they become. What were they like? And now Joseph saw God was changing them. These are the brothers who 22 years earlier hated him. The Bible says, in chapter 41, I believe it is, it says, no, I'm sorry, it's 37. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had had plenty of time in prison to contemplate the wrongs that had been done to him, but he had not become bitter. We don't know what it was like. What did Joseph struggle with? We're not told the thoughts that he struggled with in prison. Did Joseph struggle? I believe he did. Joseph was a man. He was a person just like you and I are. He dealt with the things we deal with. The 
Joseph had not become bitter. That is very clear in this chapter. If Joseph had become an angry and bitter man, this chapter would read very differently. Joseph's brothers, however, don't recognize him. He's no longer the pampered teenager who is obviously their father's favorite, the one they hated. Now he's second in command of the world's most powerful nation at that time, and Joseph's word was law. What he said happened. Joseph could have used his authority to get his revenge, and no one would have questioned him. Joseph was in a position to get revenge that I can't think of anyone else in Scripture that's in that position aside from the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus could have stopped His crucifixion, but He didn't. Joseph could have used his authority to get revenge. No one would have questioned him. He had the power to execute them. He had the power to send them into slavery the rest of their lives or whatever else he would have decided to do. Joseph could have said, God placed me here in authority, in a position of authority so that I can punish my brothers. They need to learn something. And now's the time they're going to learn it. But Joseph didn't do that. Joseph chose to use his authority not to get revenge, but to help and to provide for the very people who had hurt him so deeply. In verse 3, Joseph speaks directly to his brothers. Up to this point, if you recall earlier, up to this point, he was speaking through an interpreter to them. He never spoke, he didn't let them know that he knew Hebrew. Now he switches from Egyptian to Hebrew and imagine the shock to his brothers. The awful secret they've carefully covered up for 22 years is exposed. And this powerful Egyptian ruler is the very brother that they sold into slavery and they are now completely at his mercy. Can you imagine what's going through their minds? If I was there, if I was one of those brothers, I'd been going, what's he going to do now? I'm done. I'm either dead or he's going to do the worst thing he can possibly imagine in the rest of my life. That's the situation I'll be in. But Joseph chose to forgive in spite of what it cost him. Did it cost Joseph? It did cost. It cost him a lot. It cost him years of suffering. I want to notice next that faith is the foundation of forgiveness. Find that in verses 4 through 8. Dave mentioned a number of times that Joseph saw, said that, that God brought him there. 
Notice in that four times actually in verses 5 to 8, Joseph recognizes God's hand. Joseph believed that God's hand was at work in the painful and difficult circumstances of his life. Even difficult circumstances caused by other people's choices. Pause a moment to let that sink in. Even circumstances caused by other people's choices. Joseph had faith that God was sovereign. That God was in control in spite of what the people around him did. How he was treated. What his circumstances, his circumstances were screaming. When he was in prison, his circumstances could have been screaming that God's forgotten you, God's deserted you. People have done this to you. But Joseph believed God was at work, even in the painful circumstances of his life. Faith is the foundation of forgiveness. This was illustrated to me in a powerful way in my own life. On February 14, 1992, I was in a head-on collision. I was seriously injured, and the 66-year-old lady in the other vehicle died at the scene. The police officer told me that she died of a heart attack. And they don't know if the heart attack caused the accident or did the accident cause the heart attack. They don't know which one came first. Due to my brain being partially torn on impact, I have zero memory of that accident. I am completely blank from about 10 minutes before the accident until 10 days afterward. So I was in a coma. The police, the official cause of the accident was undetermined. So no one was charged and neither insurance company would pay anything because there was no fault placed. They don't know what caused the accident. I laid awake many a night. Wondering if I had killed that lady. I didn't know. And I asked the doctors, at what point will my memory come back? When will I know what happened in that accident? I want to know. That was driving me crazy. I thought so much about it. I felt a tremendous weight of guilt that it may have been my mistake that killed that lady. And then my dad told me that the lady's two daughters knew friends that some friends we had in Chestertown, Maryland. And they asked, they were asking to meet me. I was terrified. I said, no, tell them we can't come. I didn't want to meet them. I was afraid of what I would see. Would they be angry and take it out on me? 
I wasn't fit to travel at that time, at that point, and uh, maybe it was a good thing. It allowed me to prepare a bit. Dad told them I wouldn't be able to travel for several months, but as soon as I was able, I was going. I begged him not to go. I said, no, don't take me. I, of course, couldn't drive or anything, and Dad insisted that I'm going, and we're going as a family. We're going together. So we did. We went to our friend's house in Chestertown, Maryland, and we got there. Those of you who know my dad will know that we got there way early. <laughs> and we, we, uh, they seated us in the living room, and we're waiting for the other lady's family to arrive. And I was sitting on a couch with my back to the door. When those ladies came in the door, the first lady in the door said, where is Nathan? And they pointed at, the, at me sitting in the couch. Glasses don't work good with crying. And she, um, she ran to me. hugged me, told me she doesn't know what caused the accident. She said, I don't know if it was your fault or not, but if it was your fault, I want you to know that I forgive you. She said, I'll never have my mom back. But my mom was a Christian, and I know where she is. She said, I am a Christian. And she wanted to forgive me because she believed that whether it was my fault or not, if her mom died that day, then it was God's timing for her mom, that her work here was done. Her faith was the foundation for her forgiving me. She could extend forgiveness to me because she didn't think her mom's fate rested in my hands or anyone else's, aside from God. She saw God as sovereign. And because of that, she gave me the gift of forgiveness. We could say that Joseph had an advantage over us. God had given Joseph a dream when he was 17 years old showing him that one day he would rule over his brothers. Right, he'd given him two dreams, actually. The dreams that God gave him probably gave him hope for the future, even in his darkest hours, in slavery, in prison. And we're told repeatedly, while Joseph was in slavery, in prison, the Genesis writer says several times, but the Lord was with him. The Lord is also with us at all times, in any place. He makes forgiveness possible. You know, we have an advantage that Joseph did not have. 
Joseph didn't have the Scriptures to turn to. We not only have the stories of faith in the Old Testament, we can turn to the New Testament. And we can see the Lord Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promise to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. And in the New Testament, we see the cross of Jesus Christ, and we see the high price that Jesus paid for our forgiveness. God knew that we would need a Savior, and before the foundation of the world, He planned to send the Lord Jesus to give His life to pay the price for my sins, for yours. Instead of God giving us what we deserve, He offers us mercy, a living hope, a future in heaven. We had hope at Paul Petersheim's funeral on Friday because of Jesus. Have you ever attempted to make a list of all the things that God has forgiven you for? I was thinking about that once. I didn't sit down and physically write it. I should have. But mentally, I started making a list. That list got longer. And longer. You know, our sinful tendency is to list what others have done to us. That's our sinful tendency, to keep a record of wrongs. And that's not love. I'd like for you to pause right now. Just pause and think for a moment about what God, what all has God forgiven you for? Not your neighbor, not the people around you, but what has God forgiven you? How have you needed forgiveness? When I begin to grasp the magnitude of what I have been forgiven, the depth of my sinfulness, I can then extend forgiveness to others. In the New Testament, we also see Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The resurrection shows God's acceptance of Jesus' death in my place. Jesus is alive forever and is interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. When I think I can't forgive, help is available. Because of Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to those who love God. Faith is the foundation of forgiveness. Third fact I want to note about forgiveness is forgiveness is not forgetting, but releasing those who have wronged me. When I remember a hurt from the past, does it mean that I haven't forgiven? 
You've probably all heard people say you need to forgive and forget. What if you can't forget? What if it comes back to your mind? Does that mean that you haven't forgiven? I don't believe that that necessarily means you haven't forgiven. Let me tell you why I believe that. Number one, Joseph didn't forget. I see that in verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. The first thing he does after identifying himself is plays back to them, you are the ones who sold me. But he doesn't do it for revenge. He doesn't do it to make them cower before him. He goes right on. His next words are, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. He wasn't holding it against them. Joseph didn't forget. He felt the pain, the loss. The second reason, I don't think remember that uh, I have to forget to forgive, is our brains are wired to remember pain. Think about a toddler and a hot stove. I remember when Micah touched a hot burner on top of the, the oven in the kitchen. He jerked his hand back and he didn't go there again. We remember pain. It's for our protection. Many years ago, I was hurt deeply by another person. When I tried to talk with them about it, they said, that's in the past. I don't want to talk about it. And that was the end of the conversation. They walked out of the room. I didn't know what to do. I knew I should forgive, but I struggled for some time to forgive. I confessed it to another brother and asked God to help me forgive, and he did. What a relief. But I kept remembering when I would run into the other person, the feelings would come back. Say, Lord, I thought I forgave. Why, why, do, why does that come back? I don't want to have those feelings. I kept remembering. And I learned that when I remember, the important thing is what I do with that memory. I'm not dredging up that memory to throw dirt at the other person. No. I can use that memory to build a case. Either I can use that memory to build a case against the other person in my mind and remind myself of how terrible they are, or when I remember, I can again choose to forgive. Ask Jesus to fill me with his love for that person and to give me an opportunity to do good to that person. We are to do good to those who despitefully use us. Actively do something good, not just avoid them. No. Seek them and do something good because of Jesus.
third reason I don't think we have to forget to forgive is found in Matthew 18, 21, and 22. Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter thought he was really generous until Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, 490 times. Can you imagine someone coming back that many times in one day? Clearly, Jesus expected that we would remember that it happened before. And that makes it difficult to deal with. But when you are reminded of how someone has wronged you, use that memory to strengthen your commitment to forgiveness. I repeat, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. But it will mean I keep no record of wrong. 1 Corinthians 13.5. Fourth fact about forgiveness is forgiveness does not depend on the other person asking for it. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, he didn't wait for them to plead for forgiveness for what they had done to him. Clearly, he had already forgiven them in his heart. And as I pointed out just a moment ago, the, the first thing he says to them is do not be angry with yourselves. He's already forgiven. He wasn't waiting on them to come crawling to him. You know, Jesus demonstrated that from the cross. While he was being crucified, in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As they were hurting him, driving in the nails, he was asking the Father to forgive them. He didn't wait. I can forgive someone even if they never recognize or admit that they've done anything wrong. We are commanded to forgive multiple times in the New Testament. God would not command us to do something that depended on another person. If another person could keep me from doing it, I don't think we would be commanded to do it. I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read a couple familiar verses. Matthew 6, verses 12 and 14 and 15. It's in, here's in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Just jumping into the middle, you're familiar with it. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When we pray that, we're asking God to forgive us the way we forgive other people. What if God forgave me the way I forgive other people? What would that be like? How would that look? Verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, But if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not 
forgive men their trespasses. Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. God takes forgiveness very seriously. I want to turn to Colossians chapter 3, reading verses 12 and 13. See what God said through the Apostle Paul about forgiveness. I'd like to read a whole big section in here, but I don't have time, so I'm going to limit it to our subject. Reading chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, so here are how, this is how a Christian should live. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. How did Christ forgive you? Completely. Before I ask, it cost him. Tremendous price. Cost his life. If I choose not to forgive, it's like I'm shackled to the other person that I won't forgive. And I will live out of reaction and anger toward that person. And it will change me. I can choose to forgive. I am not shackled to that person. I don't need to be shackled to the other person. You know the difference? I would love to talk more about reconciliation this morning, but I can't. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things. They go hand in hand. They should go hand in hand. However, reconciliation requires two people working together. Forgiveness requires one person. What if the other person never recognizes that they've hurt you? What if they say they've done nothing wrong? Is it still possible to is it still possible to forgive them? And I say that it is. I can choose to forgive, to release that person. Even if they don't recognize they've done something wrong. In the last part of Genesis chapter 45, we see again how Joseph is a beautiful type of Jesus Christ. His brothers come to him, and they're in need. They need forgiveness. They haven't even admitted they're wrong yet, but they need forgiveness. Joseph not only forgives but he provides everything they need for their journey. Plus, he loaded donkeys with the good things of Egypt to send with them. He invites them to come and live with him in another land. And he will there provide everything for them. Joseph's brothers are allowed into this land for Joseph's sake. 
because of who Joseph was and their relationship to him, they are welcomed in. Type of Jesus Christ. In a far greater way, God offers forgiveness and acceptance, provisions for our journey on earth and a future with him through Jesus Christ. In summary, forgiveness will cost the person giving it. Faith is the foundation of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting, but releasing the other person. And forgiveness does not depend on the other person asking for it. Every person needs forgiveness. And every person needs to forgive. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for your forgiveness for each one of us. Thank you for providing what we need. Even before we knew we needed it, you forgave. Oh God, I pray that we would model our lives after you. May we forgive others the way you've forgiven us so that you will be honored through our lives. Lord, if there is someone we need to ask for forgiveness, I ask that you would just bring that person to our minds, even now. May we commit to doing that, to honor you. Lord, we just open ourselves to your work in our hearts. I pray that as we go from here, you would be seen through our love for each other and the other people around us. May we forgive as you forgive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.